But in case you don't know me, hi, my name is Paul. That, that was the most robust response I think I've heard. I am so glad I got a few friends here. It's, it's good to see you. If you take your Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 today. Uh, maybe you brought your scripture journals. I hope you have one. If not, we got some more in this past week. I thought it was kind of cool that we ran out of them, to be honest with you, but we got some more in. They're in baskets in the back. I'm good with movement. movement. If you want to go grab one now, you can. But we're in Philippians chapter 1, looking at verses 9 through 11. That's where we're going to be camped out this morning. You know, I, I, I more or less grew up in the church. And I remember at a young age, Sunday school, hearing the words, read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. I heard that over and over. And to be honest with you, those words, read your Bible and pray, kind of became a rote, mundane statement to me. In a way, it lost a lot of meaning for a lot of years for me. Probably wasn't until my high school, my college years, that I began to understand that reading your Bible and praying wasn't just reserved for those boring religious Christians that had nothing better to do. Actually, reading your Bible and praying was more about a relationship than a dutiful exercise. It was about a relationship with a king whose name is Jesus. Again, understand that this, this book, the Bible, is all about our king, whose name is Jesus, from Genesis to Malachi. The message is about Jesus' is coming. The first four books in the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's a message about Jesus is here. And the rest of the New Testament, from Acts to Revelation, it's a message about Jesus is coming back. And the more time we spend in God's word, the more our relationship grows with Jesus. That's what it is. It's a relationship. And so is prayer. Prayer is about a relationship too. It's where we talk. And listen to God by talking and listening to Jesus. Probably wasn't until our first child was born, Michaela, that I began to understand prayer at a deeper level. Kids kind of do that sometimes, don't they? It probably wasn't until 10, 12 years ago when I walked through three bouts of cancer that I began to understand at a deeper level the power of prayer and the relational power of prayer. Hebrews chapter four became real to me. I became to understand that we have access today through Jesus to the very throne room of God through prayer. That's what we can do. We can go to the throne room of God and receive mercy and grace in our time of need. That's help, that's prayer, that's power. Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom said this about prayer. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter into God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. Good words. When we pray... We enter into the very supernatural spiritual world and we line our hearts and open our hearts up to God. When we pray, we're more in step with his spirit. That's what our lives are, more in step with his spirit. And his spirit does more with our lives. When we pray, we align our will with his, with his will and with his kingdom. When we pray, we talk to the creator of the universe. A God who hears our prayers, a God who cares, and a God who intercedes and acts on our behalf. I, I can't think, I can't think of any other way to unlock more purpose and power in our lives than through prayer. So why don't we pray? 
why don't we pray more? Maybe prayer is just not top of mind. Maybe it's not a priority. Maybe we forget. Maybe we don't think about it. Maybe we fail to remember the power of prayer. Look, I'm not always a good prayer myself. (laughs) You know, when I started studying this passage about a week ago, I'm digging in, I'm doing my observations, I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, the Apostle Paul, I just jump right into my observations. Paul's talking about a prayer, love, knowledge, I'm digging through this passage. And, And all the while, the Holy Spirit's just tapping me on the heart. But I'm kind of stubborn. I'm a, little, I'm a little dense sometimes. And this goes on for about an hour. And finally, I'm like, Paulie, you ought to stop and pray. So I did. I got up from my desk so I wouldn't be distracted. I wouldn't be tempted to do other things. I took a walk and I communed. I talked to the creator of the universe, to our Lord, and I listened to him. And I came back and guess what? It was so much better. Funny how that works. There's power and purpose in prayer. So why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more for others? Why don't we pray more for those who we love? Maybe we don't always know what to say. We don't know where to start. or We don't know how to pray. That's what we're dealing with today in this passage. That's what we're gonna be looking at. So with your Bibles open to Philippians 1, 9 through 11, let's just jump right into verse nine, right? There we go. J-K-L-O-L, let's stop and pray. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to be in your house. You you call this house to be a house of prayer. Help us to grow in prayer. Help us to know the access that we have to your throne room. Thanks to you, Jesus, for making that possible. Thanks for your blood. We love you. It's your church. We're your people. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your word today. We love you and we pray this in our King's name, in the name of Jesus, amen. I hope you took some time to do some observations on your own this past week. We've been encouraging you to do that. And we'll do that. We'll practice that this morning kind of as we, as we roll along. And you may have noticed if you looked at these verses on your own this past week, they're pretty packed. There's a lot in these three verses. As a matter of fact, these three verses constitute a single sentence in the English language, and it's the same case in Greek as well. It's one sentence in Greek. It's dense, it's complex, and that's kind of how the Apostle Paul wrote sometimes, and maybe you picked up on that as you observed this. But I think as we unpack these verses, this one single sentence, we're going to see that it's, it's a truly a treasure. It's a gift for us. It's a beautiful prayer by Paul. It's one we can model. It's one that we can pray for ourselves, and more importantly, one that we can pray for those who we love. And the very first word we see with your scripture journals open, with your Bibles open in this passage is the word and. It's a connective. We talk about these connectives, and it begins with that connective and, which is going to point back to a previous statement by Paul. His opening statement here in verse 9 is this, and this is my prayer which connects back to verse four, because in verse four, he said, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. The passage we're looking at today, Paul is now telling the church in Philippi exactly what he's praying for. And Paul's prayer is completely Christ-centered. As a matter of fact, this whole letter is, so far in the first eight verses, we've seen Jesus Christ mentioned five times. These three verses are no exception. Christ is mentioned two more times. This is a Christ-centered, Jesus-focused, gospel-driven prayer that we're going to be looking at. That's what's happening. And there's no doubt that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a man of prayer. No doubt about it. He prayed. Seemed like every letter he wrote, all the books in the Bible, that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Paul wrote, he talks about prayer somewhere. Man of prayer. 
Uh, the letter he wrote to Thessalonica, the Christians there, in Thessalonians we read this, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. If Paul said he was praying for you, you can bet that he was. You ever known somebody like that? You ever had somebody like that in your life? It was a prayer word. They said they were praying for and you knew that they were praying. That's a big deal. You ever had somebody like that? I have. I do now. And I'm grateful for those prayer warriors. It's really the call for all of us to be like that. You know, I think it'd be interesting maybe one day to do a uh, study on all the Apostle Paul's prayers. Maybe that'll be a future sermon series. I don't know. But you know what we would see if we did a study on the Apostle Paul's prayers or actually what we wouldn't see? He never really prayed for people's physical healing. He never did. He really never did. He never prayed for people's physical needs. Now look, I'm not suggesting that we don't pray for physical healing. The Bible tells us to do that, James chapter 5, and so we do. But search the scriptures yourself. Check me on this. Now maybe Paul prayed in his, on his own for physical healing, but what we have in God's word, Paul prayed for people's spiritual health, their spiritual growth, their spiritual healing. That was the focus of his prayers. And even in that, there's instruction for us. As I thought about that, it challenged me because how often do I, how often do we pray for people's spiritual health? Spiritual needs. How often do I, do we pray for other people's souls? The most important thing because our souls live on into eternity. How often do I pray for the souls of my kids, the soul of my wife, our friends, our neighbors? How often do I pray for the souls How often do we pray for the souls of one another, brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? This is convicting, isn't it? And so this prayer in Philippians, like the rest of Paul's recorded prayers, it's focused on the spiritual health of the church there. And specifically, regarding their spiritual health, he's praying for their love. If, if you haven't already, I would encourage you to underline, circle, put a box around the word love in your, in your uh, scripture journals. That's the key word, love. It's a Christ-centered prayer of love. Everything that comes after the word love builds on that word. It all goes back to love. In a way, you might have noticed this, it's a sequential prayer that builds on, that it's like a crescendo that builds on love and ends with the glory and praise of God. That's what's taking place. And Paul is praying this out of his love for God and love for others. You may have heard that before. These verses really capture our mission statement here at Faith E in a perfect way. And that's no surprise because our mission statement says this, becoming fully surrendered disciples who love God, love others, and share Jesus. It's out of Paul's love for God and others that he prays for love, the love of Christ, that they experience that. And so this is a prayer of love. And like we discussed, really, this entire letter is kind of like a love letter. We've been talking about that. It's a love letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. And you know what's interesting about the word love? It's the greatest. It's the highest of all the Christian virtues. Don't take my word for it. It's what the Bible says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. Faith and hope is the expression, is the culmination of love. Love is the hallmark. It's the indication of a saving faith. Without love, no saving faith. You don't know God. 1 John 4, 8 says that whoever does not love does not know God 
Because God is love. So it makes sense. As Paul prays for their spiritual growth and he prays for love, love is a big deal. Without love, there is nothing. And his prayer in this verse, in verse nine, is that they would abound more and more in love. That's his prayer. He's not praying for them to begin to love. The love's already there as a Christian, as a believer. We love because God first loved us. So the prayer is not to begin to love. It's to grow more and more in the love that's already there. That's his prayer, to abound in it. And so now at this point, and perhaps this came across your mind, this naturally begs a question that needs to be answered. Who exactly is Paul praying that their love abound more and more for? Who is he praying that they love more? Well, I believe to answer that, that he's praying that their love would abound more and more for each other, for one another, for one another. Jesus said that those outside the church, those in the world will know that you're my followers, you're my disciples, by the way you love one another. No love, nothing else. I also believe that Paul's setting the stage here, right here in this prayer, for something he's gonna address there in the church of Philippi a little later because there's some disunity going on. We'll see that later in the letter. And I think he's setting the stage right now. And look, I get it. We're gonna disagree on stuff from time to time, right? Our preferences, style, uh, peripheral issues, whatever. It's gonna happen. We're gonna see things differently from time to time on some of those non-important issues. But if we can't figure out, if we can't figure out how to work through those disagreements in love, if we can't love one another, why would the world outside the church ever want to be part of the church? Because they got enough of that out there. Oh, we must love. Not optional. It's a commandment. Love God, love others. That's what Jesus said is the most important commandment. All the rest hinges on that. And let me just say, I am so thankful to be part of a church that shows a great spirit of unity. I am so grateful for that. Good job. Thank you, Lord, for that. That's born out of a spirit of love. And by the grace of God, may that always continue, not just continue, but grow. That's the Apostle Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. That they would abound that in love. It's a dynamic love. It's a growing love. It's not a stagnant love that says, look, I loved you once, I loved you a little, and that's enough. No. To abound means to grow, to continue. To abound means to, to grow past a fixed point. It means to overflow. As I thought about this, I was sitting at my kitchen table looking at my coffee pot. I got a little routine every morning. I take my coffee carafe, my coffee pot, I put it in the bottom of the sink, I turn on the sink, the faucet, and then I turn around, it's being filled, I do a couple things, empty the grounds, and by the time I get back, the split second I get back, I turn off the faucet, and it's filled right to that little line on the craft. You know what I'm talking about? Who's a coffee drinker in here? Come on! Love you guys. I drink a lot. In case you were wondering. But... If something causes me to pause for a second or two, I come and guess what's happening? The water continues to run and it's spilling over the sides of the craft and flowing over the craft. That's the picture I get when I think about abound. Flowing past a fixed point, continuing to spill over. 
that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Let your love for one another grow greater and greater so it flows, it spills out of you. And we can't do that on our own. <laughs> no, it's impossible. We gotta turn on the faucet and let the water keep on running. Jesus is the living water. The more we grow in our love for Christ, the more we experience his love in our lives, and we're overwhelmed by it, it naturally flows past a fixed point that's humanly possible and spills out to other people. That's how it works. This prayer in Philippians, it's a prayer that we'll never outgrow. We're only gonna grow more through it. You know, wouldn't it be great if people said about you, about me, that whenever I'm around that person, I just get soaked in love? All right, maybe that wouldn't be so great. That might be a little weird. But you know what I mean, right? Think about it. We grow the love of Christ in us and for others by remaining connected to the source, by keeping the water, the faucet turned on. We don't just wake up one day abounding in love more and more, just like we wouldn't wake up one day and run a marathon. doesn't work that way. We have to abide, remain in the source, fixed to the vine, daily surrendering to Jesus as our king. That's where our love grows and spills out of us like a coffee carafe soaking those around. That's how Paul begins this prayer. Then he goes on to pray that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. The crescendo keeps building. Really starts building right here. Knowledge and depth of insight. It's almost like Paul in this prayer is defining love. Kind of need that in today's culture, don't we? We do. It seems like I kind of talked about this earlier. Knowledge, in and of itself, just having great head knowledge without love, that's meaningless, that's nothing, that does no good. If you're the wisest person in the world and have not love, it's meaningless. But on the flip side of that, love without knowledge, love driven by pure emotion and feelings, well, that's a problem too. That's not love. Really, if anything, that's a squishy, spineless sentimentalism. Like any relationship, if, if the relationship is based solely on emotion and feelings, well, those go up and down. And chasing after those eventually is gonna take you down the wrong path. Let me put it in a different way. Uh, continue with the water illustration, if I could. Think of love as a river. This kind of sounds like a country song, but I, I don't know that it is or not. But think of love as a river, right? Flowing along. And if, if the source is nothing but feelings and emotion, sometimes that river goes dry. Or sometimes that river blows up and explodes over the banks and runs out of control. And we know what an out of control river that's raging in Montana is like. We experienced that a few years ago. It's dirty, it's deadly, it's damaging, and it's dangerous. It could kill you such as love based on feelings and emotion. It can kill you. Now picture a flowing, full-flowing river between its banks. And the banks are called knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge which comes from knowing the truth of God's word, spending time in his word, reading our Bibles. A love that's outside of God's word is not approved by him, therefore, it's not love at all because God is love. And when we know God's will for our lives by spending time in his word and then put that into practice, that's what Paul's referring to as depth of insight. 
knowing and doing. Another way to think about that is wisdom. Wisdom takes knowledge and does something with it. You know, culture may say that love is blind. You heard that one? Love is blind, love is blind. Culture may say love is blind. That's the farthest thing from the truth. True love is far from blind. It's insightful. That's what we're reading here. True love is far from blind. It's insightful because it includes knowing and doing. The Bible says this in John 15, that if we love God, we'll do something about it. And what will we do? We'll keep his commands. That's love. We love God, we'll keep his commands. We love God, we'll practice the ways of Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus is the fullness of God's love. And he's the perfect example for us to follow of love. Know the love of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. And the crescendo continues to build. We get to verse 10. Paul says, know the love of Christ so that you may be able to discern what is best. Knowing the love of Christ allows us to discern what is best. Gives us discernment. Our enemy, the devil, the father of lies, wants us to believe a lie that so many buy into in our culture, in our world. And that's this, God's holding out on you somehow. So he wants us to believe God's holding out somehow on you. His love, he's holding back. So go with what you feel. Go with your emotions. And Paul's saying, don't be led astray by that. Don't be led astray. Knowledge is necessary. It's not just sheer feelings and emotions. I mean, think about a parent. A loving parent should not say to their child, do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. Follow your feelings. That's not love. That's unloving. That's like the most unloving thing you can do because it can lead to death. But on the flip side, the more we know the love of Christ by spending time in God's word, the more our faith will grow, the more we'll trust him, and the more we will learn to love him and experience his love. And it's there with inside those banks of knowledge and depth of insight, experiencing God's love. It's there in those banks that we experience God's best for our lives, his excellence for our lives. It's within those banks that our thirsty souls are satisfied. We're filled up, we're gratified. It's within those banks that we experience his peace, his shalom. Even when it doesn't make sense, we have hope and we have joy inside those banks. It's there inside those banks that our cup is filled and it overflows with the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is so much better. Jesus offers us excellence because he is excellent and he's coming back. He's coming back. Paul continues this crescendo in the second half of verse 10 and builds on the statement we just looked at. Discern what is best and... Be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Jesus is coming back, and the Son, the Son of God, will reveal all things by his light. And Paul's prayer for them is on that day that they would be found pure and blameless. Pure and blameless. That word pure, I uh, did a little study on that word pure. It's an interesting word, maybe you know this, but that word pure also means to be sincere. Some translations use the word sincere. And the word sincere comes from two Latin words. 
sine sera. Sine means without and sera means wax. You see, what would happen in the ancient times is pottery makers, and they do this today too, they would take their pots, they take their vases, they put them in a kiln to fire them, and sometimes those vases would develop cracks. They'd get cracked. <laughs> and, and kind of the shrewd, I guess, if you would, a maker of the vases, the pots, what they would do to save time, to save money, is they'd fill the cracks with wax. And then they would put a, a layer of glaze over the pots. That's what they would do. And I've got a pot right here. It's, it kind of resembles one of those. And you can kind of picture what that may look like. It looks like it has no imperfections at all. But the unsuspecting person that buys the vase takes it home with the cracks. Eventually, they put hot water into it, and then you know what would happen. The wax melts. The water runs all over the place. The thing's pretty much useless. But the person who understands how this works, what they would do, they would take the vase, they would take the pot, and they would hold it up to the sun, to the light of the sun. And that would reveal the cracks that would reveal the wax. What a spiritual lesson for us with this word pure, senesera, without wax. You see, the older I get, the more and more I understand with greater clarity that every one of us has got cracks. Try to fake it, try to hide it, try to mask it. But the reality is, every one of us has got cracks. I've got them. If you're new with us here at Faith E Church and you're looking for a perfect little pot of a pastor, <laughs> that ain't me. Maybe the little part. I've got cracks. My friends who know me well know that to be true. And they know about what those cracks are in my life. And if you asked them, they would tell you, yeah, Paulie, he's a bit of a crackpot. <laughs> and I'd say the same thing about them. But I would also say about them that they're sincere. They're senesera. They're without wax. I would. Look, if all we do is wear a mask, filling the cracks in our life with wax trying to look better, trying to look more spiritual than we are, trying to act like we got our, everything together. If that's all we do, guess what's ha gonna happen? If all we do is fill the cracks with wax, eventually the heat's gonna be on. The wax is gonna melt, and we're gonna succumb to the pressure, to the temptation. And we fall right back in to a cycle called the sin and shame cycle. We feel bad, the shame comes, and we continue ba-bump, ba-bump, ba-bump with that cycle. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Sin management on our own never works for the long haul. It's about relationships. Gotta have relationships. Why do you think our enemy, the devil, attacks? The first thing he attacks is relationships. Come on. Relationships with our spouse, with others, relationships in the church, and most importantly, our relationship with Jesus. If he can attack and destroy those things, he'll find us isolated. He'll make us isolated, feeling alone, full of shame, in that place thinking, nobody's as bad as I am. There's no help for me. And that's exactly where he wants us, but that's not where God wants us. God wants us to know that there's nothing he can't forgive. There's nobody beyond his grace and his love. 
And God in his sovereignty chooses to work through people to accomplish his divine will and his divine plan. He chooses to work through other people to show the love of Christ to others. That's what he does. We need other people. White knuckling it on our own ain't ever gonna work. It doesn't. The cracks remain. The water keeps spilling out the bottom. We'll never abound with love because we remain a leaking pot. If there's one thing you take away from today's message, let it be this right here. This is important. This is a big deal. All of it is, but I don't want you to miss this. Every single one of us needs Senesera. Every single one of us needs wax-free relationships. It's biblical. We need them. And probably won't be many, just a couple. Might be a handful at most. But we need those relationships where the real you is known. You need that person who knows about the deepest, darkest, largest cracks in your life. And when they know that, that person in that relationship, they trust you more and they love you more because of it. And they love you enough to say, I don't want you to stay in that broken place anymore. Show the love of Christ. That's what this is. When the, wax, when the wax is gone, when we remove the wax and allow the light and love of Christ to shine through and fill those cracks by other people, that's where healing takes place. That's the only time that healing takes place. Show the love of Christ. Show the love of Christ. We take away the wax. We trust more. We trust more. We love more. And we love more where healing takes place. The church shouldn't be the last place that people go to to open up. It should be the first. The church shouldn't be the last place that people go to to find those kind of relationships. It should be the first. It's work. It's hard. It's worth it. It's risky. Opening up is risky. But there's a reward. I've got people like that in my life. And I hope you do too. That's my prayer that you do. Because God wants to work through others to show the light of and love of Christ to bring healing in our lives, to heal the cracks. And as a healed vessel, that's when we then get to turn around and show the love of Christ to others. So Paul's talking about here in verse 11, he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. The fruit, the righteousness is something we, we can't, manufacture that on our own. It's from Jesus Christ. It's a fruit that flows out of that place of healing. It's a fruit that really results from what Jesus does in and through us. It's the good works, the good deeds that we do from a saving faith that reflect Jesus and we do it in his name, all for the glory and praise of God. That's how Paul ends this prayer. All to the glory of and praise of God. Give God glory means that we reflect God's glory to one another, to the world around us like little lights in a dark world. We reflect God's glory when we reflect Jesus. We radiate God when we radiate Jesus and we radiate Jesus by showing the love of Christ. First to one another 
and then to the world around us. That's how we live out our calling and exemplify the kingdom of God. When we show the love of Christ and when it's Jesus at the core, that kind of person is a full-bodied, spirit-filled, on-mission, real-deal Christian. They're like a coffee carafe, cracked but healed with the love of God spilling over it, soaking those that come in contact with them. And when you have a church full of those kind of people, oh, look out. That's like a model home that floods a new neighborhood with light because there's a culture of love, because they're focused on the person of love whose name is Jesus Christ. That kind of church, when others look from outside, what do they see? They see nothing but Jesus because it's full of people that are bowed humbly, surrendered to the king. When Jesus is greater, the church is always better because it's his church. All to the glory and praise of God. This is the Apostle Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. And what a prayer that we need today. Right? In a world full of division. I mean, isn't this an election year? You talk about division. In a world full of taking sides, tribalism, fighting over sometimes the stupidest things ever. We need this prayer. We need this prayer. And what might God do? If we learn to pray this prayer in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, for ourselves, what might God do if we learn to pray this prayer, this prayer of love for our children, for the next generation, for our grandchildren? What might God do? I heard somebody recently tell me on staff, I was just talking about this, and she said, you know, Paul, I love these verses. I've been praying these verses for my children. They're grown now, but since they were born. I thought, that's cool. What might God do if we all start praying this prayer of love for our children, whether they're little or they're fully grown, it's never too late to start? What might God do if we pray (laughs) that they grow the love of Christ, that they know the love of Christ, and that they show the love of Christ? That's praying for spiritual growth. That's praying for spiritual health. That's praying for their souls. Husbands, what a prayer for your wives. Wives, what a prayer for your husbands. You want them to grow in love? Pray this. What might God do if we prayed this prayer for one another in the church? Oh, I think we'd be amazed. There's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. We're going to end a little unique way today. We're going to end with some singing, communion. Makes sense. We sung about the blood of Christ, so we're going to end that way as well. But first, I want to give you some time to pray. I want to give you some time to practice exactly what we talked about. I'm going to have a few precious moments to enter the very throne room of mercy and grace through prayer. And I'm going to kind of lead us through these three stages of prayer, these three sequential prayer areas that we went through. I'll lead us through that. I'll say a little bit, set it up, and then I'll be quiet and give you a few minutes to pray. You can get up and Come to the altar and kneel. You can kneel at your seats. You can stay where you're at, pray by yourself. You can move around. You can pray with the person next to you. Maybe you want to pray for your children, your grandchildren together. Go for it. Maybe you need to get up and go and pray for or with somebody else in the worship center. That's fine. You can do that. Whatever posture you want to assume. But let's turn this place into what it's meant to be, a house of prayer.
house of prayer. There's power in prayer. So let's go to the throne room of mercy and grace and prayer right now. Pray with me if you would. First, would you pray that we grow the love of Christ? Pray for an abounding love that flows because we're filled with the love of Christ. Pray for that. Pray for that person in your life that they stay connected to the source, the person of love whose name is Jesus. You can pray for that person. Maybe while you pray, the Spirit brings to mind somebody you need to call, you need to offer forgiveness to. Pray that God gives you the conviction and words to make that happen. Pray now that we grow the love of Christ. You've got a moment to do that now. I encourage you to pray that we know the love of Christ. Pray that we have the kind of love that, that stays in the banks of knowledge and depth of insight. Pray for that. Pray for that person in your life that may be being deceived, not discerning, being led astray by emotions and feelings. Pray that they know the love of Christ. Maybe the Spirit is even convicting you to spend more time knowing the love of Christ by spending time in God's word, pray that he gives you the strength. Pray that you commit to doing that today. Spend some time now praying to know the love of Christ. And finally, pray that we show the love of Christ. 
Pray that his love would heal any cracks in our life that may be filled with wax. Pray for that now. Maybe there's something you need to confess, a crack that you need him to take care of and allow his light and love to shine in and heal. Do that now, because just a moment, we're gonna take communion and we're called to take communion in a worthy manner. You can also pray for that broken, that lonely person that you know, that person in your life who needs to be shown the love of Christ. Pray that his spirit would help you to show them the love that they desperately need. Ask his wisdom to help you with that. Pray that we show the love of Christ now. God, thank you that you help us love. You actually make love possible because you first loved us. Jesus, thanks for your perfect love. Lord, I ask that you help us be a church that grows in the love of Christ, that knows the love of Christ, and then shows the love of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. You made that possible, and it's in your name I pray. Amen.